change careers, break into new industries, transition into new roles, reinvent yourself and make the dent you want. This is the Second Breaks Podcast. And now, here's your host and fellow Second Breaker, Lou Blazer. Hello, hello, my friend. Thank you so much for joining me today. This is episode 52 of the Second Breaks podcast, and it is Tuesday, May 29th, 2018, as I record this episode. If you are listening to the podcast for the first time, welcome, welcome. I'm thrilled that you found me, that you found us, you found the podcast, and hope that you will add the show to your favorite podcast playlist. And if you are a returning listener, I so appreciate that you are here. If you have questions or thoughts about the show, about this episode or any of the previous ones, or if you want to share your career move plans with me, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly, lou at secondbreaks.com, or you can find me on LinkedIn. Just search for Lou Blazer. That's L-O-U-B-L-A. S-E-R. My guest today is Dave Pigeon, who, as he points out, is in the middle of a big career change, which he started a year ago when he left his corporate job to do three things. Uh, I was going to juggle three roles. One was operating a photography business. Uh, two was to pursue uh, a book that I wanted to write, and I had been writing for the last couple of years. And then three, to be a stay-at-home dad, uh, to handle the duties of shuttling the children from daycare or school back home, getting them to doctor's appointments, playing with them in the afternoon. The intent when I left was to juggle those three, those three roles. I, I live in a beautiful chaos. <laughs> I, I've been thinking about doing a blog post about advice to soon-to-be parents to let them know that what, what you need to know is first, of course, that the love that you feel is greater than anything you will ever feel. Um, so the highs have never been higher. However, <laughs> everything in your life, whether we're talking about eating breakfast or reading a book or watching a movie or going to the grocery store, Everything becomes harder, <laughs> harder than you ever imagined. So, so it, it, it's going it's going well. But this is one of the things that I was excited about with this interview because I've listened to your podcast, Lou, and I've listened to a lot of podcasts, and we hear from people who have, for lack of a better term, made it or have been doing this for so long. I'm in the middle. To me, I feel like. The step that I took back in May, the verdict on that is still out. We don't know if this has been the, the best right decision just yet. A lot of that is up to me and what I do, um, but we're still in the middle of it. So, And that, that's really cool because I think it's important for people, particularly that those that listen to your podcast who are thinking about taking the leap, to hear from somebody who's in the middle of this beautiful chaos. In this episode, Dave and I talk about why he left a career that grew out of journalism and TV and public relations, how he discovered a hobby that became one of the things he pursued professionally, the challenges that he's exp experiencing as he executes his career change, and of course, how he's addressing those. 
You are listening to the Second Breaks Podcast, a weekly show that explores what it really takes to make a career move in today's fast-changing world. This podcast is brought to you by Second Breaks, a career education company that teaches professionals how to build resilient careers and thrive in this new economy. Visit secondbreaks.com to learn more about how we can support your goals. And speaking of thriving, on Wednesday, June 6th, I am hosting a live webinar on finding your unique edge so you can always be marketable in this highly competitive world. We will cover what having an edge means in this rapidly evolving world of ours and what exactly comprises your unique edge. You can find the link to register for the webinar together with today's show notes at secondbreaks.com forward slash episode 52. Okie dokie, let's get on with the show. Dave's career started in journalism. He was a newspaper reporter in central Pennsylvania. He caught the political reporting bug in 2004 while covering the local congressional race. He then made it a goal of his to cover the 2008 presidential election, which he was able to meet. After that, he moved to news management and television. And on the side, he maintained freelance writing projects for an outdoor adventure magazine. And then one day I got a call from the former spokesman for, um, uh, for Norfolk Southern, which is a national railroad transportation company. Um, it happens to be the, the company that my father worked for. And uh, the spokesman called. He knew me. He knew my dad and said, hey, you need to apply for this job. And the job was public relations, media relations, crisis communications for this railroad. It's a fortune at that time. It was about fortune 250. Um, so a lot of responsibility. I had no, <laughs> I should, I, I applied, but I, I thought to myself, there's no way, right? A community news guy. Uh, I was going up against competition that were well qualified and what, you know, it, I got the job. So for five and a half years, I served as the spokesman for the company. Uh, I dealt with national media. I uh, was involved in a lot of national conversations about transportation and hazmat, safety, when a train would derail and there was um, there were serious consequences from that derailment, like a release of hazardous materials and evacuation of an entire town. I was the one on the scene talking to the cameras, explaining what was happening and how uh, the company community were, were going to get through. So I did that for five and a half years, and then in May of 2017, I walked away. Dave walked away from what he referred to as a family legacy. Well, and I not only walked away from a job, I walked away from a family legacy. I was the sixth consecutive generation from my family to work for the railroads. Dates back to, 18, to the 1880s. And um, come the start of 2018, a couple of things were happening. I'm sorry, the start of 2017. One the corporate culture was beginning to change, or it had changed. Um, public relations in the railroad industry is a priority, but I wouldn't describe it as a top priority. Um, there are many reasons for that, and I, you know, I don't offer that up 
to be critical as much as an objective assessment of, of that world. Um, so that made it difficult to operate in because sometimes you would be hampered by sort of the, the nature of the, of the business. Um, and so that after five and a half years of that, um, I had also been on call 24 hours a day, every day of the week, every day of the year, holidays, weekends, without a break. There, we never rotated on call. And my territory was from Chicago east to Boston. So I had all of those major and smaller media markets to handle. So five and a half years of that um, – and I had my eyes set on some aspirations beyond the railroad and beyond public relations. Uh, there were a lot of things about the job I enjoyed, particularly the people. Uh, the job placed me in the center of the metaphoric hurricane. Uh, and there was a lot of attention. You know, I, I dealt with a lot of emails and phone calls and people wanted to hear what I had to say. Um, but in the end... Uh, I could tell that my health was being affected. I could tell that I was bringing a lot of not just stress and anxiety from the job, but also the personality of the job home with me. And I have two young children and a great wife. Uh, I did not want to bring that into the home. Now, ideally, at the end of the workday, we should be able to shut the computer off, head home, and leave behind all the work-related stuff, right? But the reality is it's not always that easy. And for some of us with very stressful jobs, it's not exactly like a switch that we flip on and off, which was the case for Dave and his previous job. In, in the railroad industry, as it relates to the media, there is a lot of conflict and hostility. So you spend all day in an, essentially a defensive posture because a community in Virginia may be upset because the trains are blocking a road or the horns are, are going off at 3 a.m. And so the community or, or the news in that community turn towards my office and toward me to say, why are you doing this? What are you doing? This needs to stop. And I have to respond to that. And so that puts you in a defensive posture all day long. And sometimes it makes you, um, unintentionally, it makes you the, the villain, which is not a role that I really enjoy. Um, so you spend eight, nine, 10, 14 hours in a day living like that. And then you've got to come home and be a dad that's attentive and mindful and nurturing and fun. That's, you don't flip that switch automatically when you come. So I didn't want to bring that home. And then I would say, um, two, two other things led to the change. One, my wife has her own business. She has a uh, private mental health practice. All of the travel I was doing and the stress and the work was holding her back. And I didn't want to do that anymore. And she had such great potential. And we wanted to see her reach that. So walking away had as much to do about her and her business as it was about me. And then lastly, I would say I wanted to get back to writing. I wanted to get back to who I am underneath and who I walked away from five and a half years ago. As you heard in the intro, Greg's career change was fueled by a desire to juggle three roles, 
being a dad, writing, and his photography business. Where did the photography business come from, you're asking? Yeah, me too. So when I joined Norfolk Southern, I certainly felt like I was leaving my creative pursuits behind. And then we had our first son, <laughs> not long after I took that job. And I rem- I'll never forget that my wife, Allison, came to me and said, okay, go down to Best Buy and buy a camera. So I did. Fortunately, because I had all of that experience in the media, I understood that this medium, the photography, was more than just turn the camera on, look through the viewfinder, and click the shutter. That there was technique, there are storytelling elements to it, and so I insatiably just consumed as much online training as I could and and photographed every day because I wanted to take uh, pictures of my child. And then of course, then we had his, his brother, uh, about two and a half years later. So I had two young boys and I wanted to document this. I am naturally a historian. I'm the family. historian. I, I like to keep, you know, mementos and I like to tell the stories and I was doing so through photography. I stopped writing and I stopped freelance magazine writing because of just how much time intensive that, that those pursuits were. I just didn't have time to do it anymore. But photography, I was home. My kid did something cute. I'm taking a picture. And then then I edit it and throw it up on Facebook. Uh, Roughly around 2014, 2015, I started to ask some friends who did wedding photography, could I tag along? Because I thought if I shadowed you, I could learn photography. My interest really was in the outdoors and landscape photography and then, of course, photographing my own children. But I caught the bug. That first wedding I will never forget because it gave me the adrenaline rush that a breaking news story used to. An event is happening and you are essentially gathering tidbits of information that when compiled together tell the story of that day. So I trained with, um, I had the great fortune of training with a legend in the photography industry. His name is Ken Skloot. Um, I had the great fortune of learning from him and learning how about light and posing and uh, composition. So I uh, started in with uh, starting my own wedding photography business. Uh, It's still, uh, we still have it. and I don't do as many weddings uh, per year as I used to. Um, but if a couple contacts me, I'm happy to do it because it is a joy. You, you're essentially being invited to somebody's party and getting paid <laughs> to take pictures. That's pretty cool. So tell me, Dave, you know, as you moved from these transitions, these roles, what surprised you? What was easier? What was harder than you've anticipated? There, there were two things that surprised me. When I worked in public relations for the railroad, I, I was not, I, my job was not to manage the social media platforms or to have my own. It was a very traditional public relations job, answering the phone and answering emails. So there was this gap. Uh, a gap of about you know six years 
between when I was operating my own website and, and working with Google Analytics and um, Twitter was coming out and Facebook. And, and so there was this gap of like six years from that time to when I exited Norfolk Southern. And wow, so much has changed. Twitter back in 2010, 2011 was such a great networking tool. I I got news I got magazine contracts by being on Twitter because I would chat with magazine editors for outdoor magazines and I was able to connect with um some some um some great thought leaders and voices in the outdoor industry. You can still do that on Twitter today. It's just much harder now. To me the challenge um that I I found was these uh these platforms which used to make a lot of sense to me six years ago. When I stepped out in 2017, I was in some ways overwhelmed by the amount of time and attention that those platforms needed. And um, I was a little underprepared for, for that. Um, something else surprised me, and I think it's, it, it is related to this. Um, content creation and social media platforms alone are not enough. If you're going to start a, a business, a freelance business, or um, you know, perhaps you're going to sell something to the public, or it could even be a B2B business, you are, of course, inundated with messages about you need to be on Snapchat if your audience is younger. You need to be on Instagram. You need to be doing stories, Instagram stories, and and so on, right? Um, and then, as you know, I trained to be a professional photographer. What's different now than it used to be was I can't just make a great photo and expect people to, to hire me. And I cannot uh, rely upon social media to build my businesses. You need both of those. You need great content and you need a social media presence. But the glue I think that brings them together is word of mouth networking. There is still a role in getting out from behind your computer, going to events, whether it's conferences or maybe there's a networking event in your own community, shaking hands. Uh, even Or even like with you and, and me right now, we met on a platform. It was an online platform, but it was a, it was a networking. Basically, it was networking. So to me, the glue that brings everything together is networking. And... Um, and so that that surprised me, but fortunately, I think we've adjusted, and I've kind of learned about you know, again about that glue that brings great content and your social media presence together. I was actually uh, talking with someone who is in very much in corporate America, uh, has no intention of building a business uh, whatsoever. But we were talking about how important it is networking, but that how it's always been important. But precisely because there's so much noise, it's even more important now to, uh, first of all, the way that we network. We have to adjust how we network, but it's even more important now because there's so much noise going on. Oh, that's absolutely right. So to break through that, let people meet you and find out who you are. And, you know, and, and again, it's so important to do it in person. I've most of the jobs that I've gotten over the last year, last eight months, 
have been from word of mouth because someone has recommended me as a wedding photographer or I met the editor of a regional magazine and then I pitched this idea to her to do a magazine column that uh, could be humorous but poignant about the challenges of being a modern day father. And that landed me a contracted uh, monthly column in a magazine. Um, and so again, I just, it wasn't because that person found my Facebook business page or thought that I had great photos on Instagram. It was because we met at, a, at, at an event. I'm just going to say this because I know that inevitably there will be one person who would listen to this and would say, well, easy for Dave, because I mean, look, he's had all these hundreds and hundreds of contacts from his days as a as a news guy and then in TV oh my goodness network galore and then in PR i mean of course it will uh it will be great because you already have all these contacts and so what might you say to to that <laughs> well i work in industries that have a lot of introverted people. I'm an extrovert in an introverted world. I never take that for granted. So you're right. There are elements of my personality that lend itself naturally to going out and network. But I don't think you have to be an extrovert to network. I think you play to your, you know, play to your strengths. If you would prefer one-on-one -on -one with coffee, go for it. Do that. You know, Gary Vaynerchuk talks a lot about self-awareness. And I think where his, some of his greatest contributions to our culture and, and you know, this sort of self-starting um, small business owner going out there and, and trying to make it on your own, I think part of his, his greatest contribution is talking about self-awareness. Know who you are, know what your strengths and weaknesses are, and then take it to the next step. If you have weaknesses in a certain area that are holding you back from networking, then let's problem solve. Because in our world now, we can find solutions so much easier than we ever have before. So if there are weaknesses that are holding you back, problem solve. And that, if you don't mind me saying, Lou, leads me to the second thing that surprised me the most when I stepped out. And this is more personal, but it's about taking responsibility for, um, for something. So as you as you know, I've I've enjoyed such a, a great and varied career, and have um, you know have have had these wonderful moments where you feel like you're making it. I've you know I was a spokesman for a Fortune 250 company. I've I've interviewed uh, you know presidential candidates one on one and so on. But then when I got out, I found myself struggling with day to day work. And I didn't understand because I felt like I worked hard all day, but never really achieved anything. So what I finally had to accept, and I worked with, a, with our family doctor on this, was that I had adult ADHD. It was something that was not apparent to me when I was in an environment that I functioned highly in. And there was structure. There, was, there were deadlines. There were... Um, there, there were. It was a place where I could thrive. When I was out on my own, without a supervisor, without a deadline, um, I found myself exhibiting behaviors that, um, you know, that, that were kind of, you know, head scratching. You know, I might write for fifteen minutes and then read the political news for an hour. Um, 
and then switch to, oh my gosh, I got to figure out Instagram. I got to figure this out. I've got, you know, this is where everything is. And if I'm going to build my platform and I'm going to dive into this and then zip, I'm off to something else. And then zip, I need to learn from, you know, this webinar. And, and I thought it was what I was supposed to be doing. Um, and I would be exhausted and I would be frustrated and I didn't understand why. And, and it's funny you mentioned about um, having a personality that lends itself naturally to networking. I actually found myself avoiding social interaction and being out there in person. And that too was a bit of a head scratcher. Like, why is this happening? So I went and, and took tests with my doctor and we figured this out. Um, and I took steps and took responsibility to deal with it. And now I'm working smarter than I ever had and more efficiently. So does that mean putting structure and organization in your day? Is that, is that one of the things you did? You know, uh, one of the greatest advantages right now is I can work for two hours and I won't even think about my iPhone. I won't even think about checking whether or not the photo I just posted on Facebook got a dozen likes or not. I used to, yeah, I used to be checking that every five minutes. Uh, I don't do that anymore. I, I don't think of it. Um, there are some other, you know, there are some other steps that I took. Um, but essentially, it's allowed me to zone the world out when I want to write a chapter and it's going to take two hours to write this chapter. Or if I have a wedding to, uh, to, to edit, I have 3,000 photos from a wedding, I need to uh, whittle it down to 500 and then I have to uh, edit all of those photos. It used to take me weeks to do that. And now I probably have cut that time down by 80% because I can sit and focus now. Um, so, you know, from the broad sense, I think the lesson there is, uh, there are weaknesses. You will find your shortcomings when you step out of your corporate job and you find yourself on your own. And if you don't know them, you, you will, uh, be honest with yourself and accept the responsibility to fix that. Uh, you're so right, David. And with all these conversations that I've been having, including my own experiences, you're right, because whatever it is that you were doing before, it provided some sort of structure or some sort of an infrastructure or system, quote unquote, system for you to operate. And when you leave that, when you take yourself out of there, all kinds of you'll find all kinds of discoveries about yourself that you didn't even know was there. I certainly had those kinds of, I didn't know I was like this. Right. And I was, honestly, I was in denial for a long time uh, about the, the attention problems uh, that I was having. No, no way. It's never held me back. Even if I did, you know, I've, I've achieved all this stuff in my career. This can't possibly be true. Well, as it turns out, yeah, it can be. about this thing, the book project that you have? So this is what I call a creative nonfiction novel, which fits very well into my writing style. So in 2012, my, uh, my grandmother passed away. She was 87 years old. We went out to Cincinnati for the funeral. And like any good family with Irish American ties, we had a wake after the funeral. Uh, uh, back at my parents' house. And that's when my father pulled me aside 
and told me news that changed my life. It would eventually change his life and lead me on a journey that, uh, that was incredibly life-affirming. When my father was an infant in 1956, 1957, he was abducted, ripped from the arms of his birth mother, who was a teenager, by his own father. So my grandfather had an affair in the 1950s, and that affair led to the birth of my father. But the affair fell apart, and my grandfather essentially, um, according to the myth and legend, took the baby out of her arms and told that teenage girl, you will never see him ever again. So my dad was raised in a house with his father and uh, his father's wife, who he grew up believing was his mom. And he didn't find out the truth until his mid-20s. They kept the secret from from me, my siblings, uh, until that day at the uh, at the wake. That the person I knew was my grandmother, my dad's mom, was actually not biologically his mother. Um. So that naturally, of course, leads to the question, right? Who is your biological mother? What happened to her? Have you ever heard from her? And the answer was no. For all intents and purposes, for 60 years, she had disappeared. All I had was a name, an age, uh, a place, and a warning. So the name was Dorothy Lip. Uh, the age, according to the legend, was that she was 16 years old, which, you know, and let me let me just mention that, again, our memories can lead us to some interesting places that may not necessarily be accurate. But the story that had been passed down was that my 33-year-old grandfather had had an affair with a 16-year-old girl in 1956. Um, it all happened in Cincinnati, Ohio. And the warning was from um, from uh, uh, my dad's uh, mother, uh, his adopted mother. When my dad found out the truth, she had told him, don't go looking for your birth mother. You're not going to like what you find. My dad, out of loyalty to uh, who he had grown up believing was his mother, never looked. And when, or, or if he did, it was not a, a thorough investigation. And as it just so happens, he had a son who has experience in investigative journalism. So it took about a year. Uh, it, she was not a particularly easy person to find. So this isn't a, a case where I could just go to the city directories from 1956, look up the name and say, oh, there she is. Uh, or look up a birth certificate or anything like that. Uh, this was a mystery that led me down a lot of paths. Um, and eventually, um, I took a falsified adoption record. I tied it to a birth certificate from 1936. I tied that birth certificate from 1936 to a marriage license in 1962 that marriage license then led me to uh, a couple of obituaries from around 2012, 2013. 
And they all pointed to a 78-year-old woman living in Jacksonville, Florida. So I, I, I wrote her a letter. Um, it essentially said, I think you are who I think you are. And if you are who I think you are, I think you should call me. Uh, and it took about a week. And suddenly on my phone, a, a number popped up from Jacksonville, Florida. And um, the woman on the other end of the line said, I am your dad's mom. So I asked her a couple of questions to, you know, confirm. And she knew things that only someone from that time would know. Uh, my grandfather had a nickname and she called him by his nickname without hesitation um, uh, in, in a way that helped tell you, yeah, this is this is the one. So we informed my dad. Dad flew down to meet her. He drives up. You know, he pulls into the driveway and uh, gets out of the car. The door opens to the house, and here is this 78-year-old woman named Dorothy. Uh, she comes out and says, come here, I haven't held you in 60 years. They spend five days together, reunited, um, and then two months afterwards, she passed away. So the story, is, that was a long, <laughs> long explanation, Lou. Um, but that is the book that I'm writing it is the story of, um, bringing them together as well as, um, well, it's all about the investigation. It's about fathers and sons and, um, uh, bringing my father to a place of healing, uh, and bringing these lives full circle. Um, I can tell you that as astonishing as all of this is as goosebump inducing as all of this is. This only scratches the surface. I learned secrets that were never supposed to be revealed about my family, um, about uh, you know things that uh, a facade that was created, uh, particularly regarding one person that proved to not be true. And when I unveiled that particular truth, uh, that had some harsh reactions. So that's the story. That's that's the book that I'm writing right now. Um, are you planning to? release this for public or this is for just for family family's consumption only no this is for the public um when i was a child um well into my teenage years and then into college i imagined writing a book i wanted to be a book writer i wanted to be a novelist um but my head was in the cloud i i didn't have that kind of creativity to be a fiction writer and then i landed in newspapers and that just fit for me you know it's i could write every day and have a deadline, and uh, and that just fit me as a writer. Um, but I never let go of that dream. I like to say that um, in 2012, when these events first started, I was a writer without a story, and then the story found me. What's a book, fiction or nonfiction, that you've read that's made an impact? that uh, you wouldn't mind recommending. So for you, Lou, and you're talking about writing your book, you should look up The Plot Whisperer by, uh, by Martha Alderson. Um, that helped me organize my book. So I will mention that real quick. If you're thinking about writing a book, a, a creative nonfiction book, a fiction book, look that up. There are so many that I could recommend, but let me just say, The Purple Cow by Seth Godin is 16 years old this year, and it is still relevant. If you haven't picked that book up, 
and you are thinking about quitting your corporate job to start a business, read that book. Keep it on your shelf and pull it out for reference because everybody right now, it feels, is starting their own business. Everybody out there has something that they are trying to push out there. So what's going to differentiate you? What is, you know, what is going to make you unique and special? Um, we talked before about how I, I, you know, I work in a world where there's a lot of introvertedness. Well, my, you know, one way for me to stand out is to be an extrovert. Decide for yourself. So I, if there's one I have to point to, I would say still to this day, The Purple Cow by uh, Seth Godin. I would love for people to find you online. And so tell us where we can find you, where we can follow you. I would start with uh, the website is creativelygenuine.com. Um, that is my blog, my author website. Um, you can find me on Twitter, uh, North Arch DP, DP for Dave Pigeon. And you can also find me on Instagram, North Arch Dave. Well, thank you, Dave. Thank you so much for spending uh, some time with me this afternoon and for sharing your story. Well, thank you for having me on. I hope you found this episode useful. For the show notes and links to other relevant resources, including the link to the webinar, Find Your Unique Edge, head on over to secondbreaks.com forward slash episode 52. As we get to the end of this episode, this is a good time to hit that subscribe button on your podcast player so you'll never have to miss any future episodes. And if you haven't yet, I would so appreciate it if you'd spare me a few minutes and leave a review and rating on iTunes. Your feedback goes a long way in putting this podcast in front of other career professionals like you. If you are not sure how to do it, go to secondbreaks.com forward slash review and that link will give you the step by step. That's a wrap for this week's episode. My name is Lou Blazer and I will be back next week, I promise. Till then, keep on making your dent, my friend. Cool beans. This is the Second Breaks Podcast. 